Hello, you're listening to On Israel in Al Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspit from Tel Aviv. The change in government with its appointment of green-minded ministers along with the growing urgency of global warming have placed the climate crisis high on the Israeli agenda, an unusual development in a country whose public agenda is all too often dominated by security issues. Previous Israeli governments under Benjamin Netanyahu identified with a conservative approach of the Trump administration on such matters, relegating environmental issues to the sidelines. But one of Prime Minister Naftali Bennett's first overseas trips was to the climate summit in Glasgow earlier this month at the head of one of the largest delegations to the conference. The government has adopted anti-pollution legislation for example, taxing single-use uh, plastic products, and is increasing investment in renewable energy. The government is also considering revoking a major deal with the Emirates for oil transportation from the Gulf through the Gulf of Eila to the Mediterranean under pressure from uh, environmental advocates fearing oil spills. And it has signed a trilateral deal for the construction of a huge solar farm in uh, the Jordanian desert. The farm will be built by an Emirati firm. Israel will buy the power generated there and provide Jordan with the desalination water in, it, in return. Jerusalem has changed its tune. Our guest today is Tamar Zandberg, the Minister of Environmental Protection and former chair of Merits, the only Israeli party which actively promotes a green agenda. Uh, Bennett knew that Zandberg was a natural choice for the job, and she has been leading an aggressive agenda that even calls for a halt to gas exploration in the Mediterranean. She says Israel's major natural gas discoveries off its coast in recent years will suffice for several decades, and it should now devote its resources to transitioning to renewable energies. Environmental Protection Minister Tamar Zandberg joins us right after this short break. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department Correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let El Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to El Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts, along with first-class reporting and analysis. Now I'm a privilege to welcome to our podcast on Israel in Al Monitor, uh, Minister Tamar Zandberg. Shalom Tamar, how are you doing? Shalom, I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Uh, very good, thanks. Uh, and let's uh, start with usual question. 
Israel is barely a dot on the planet. Its population is small and its impact on global pollution and climate change is negligible. Why all these efforts that you've been leading? Well, first of all, uh, maybe you'll be happy to hear that Israel is not that small. I mean, if you take other countries that are about uh, seven, eight, nine, ten million, uh, you'll find that Israel is in a very respectable uh, company. Um, and also, you know, after the big maybe four, five, six polluters, the the group that is the largest, Uh, in in polluting with 20% of the global uh, emissions are the group of the small countries that every one of them is maybe uh, not that uh, sm- uh, not that big for example israel is uh, 0.2 of the global emissions but there is a group of uh, dozens of countries uh, like us that um, that uh, pollute the same and uh, all of them together Um, uh, uh, donate 20% of the global emissions. So this is an, an, uh, an, a significant part. And every one of them, especially the developed and industrialized ones like Israel, are expected to donate their share. Um, not to mention that Israel may be a small uh, polluter, but is very, very vulnerable. I mean, our location on the globe in terms of weather, in terms of climate, um, we sit in a dry and hot area um, and the extreme weather events and uh, heat waves and uh, bushfires and floods are expected to increase heavily in the next years and put Israel in a high risk, higher than other countries. So all of these reasons make climate change a huge problem for us. Okay, so uh, we, we, are, uh, we are significant and we have to, to, to uh, like you said, to donate our share. So, and you've said that Israel should uh, stop gas explorations in the Mediterranean and devote its resources to renewable non-polluting energies, such as solar, wind, and other types of energy. Many people view this approach as dangerously progressive. After all, throughout most of its history, Israel has not had energy resources uh, of its own and was dependent on uh, imports. And now that uh, is, uh, Israel is self-reliant and has uh, even uh, become a gas exporter, You come along and rain on the parade. After all, it will take decades before the world can uh, transition fully to renewable energy. And until then, gas would be, uh, will be in high demand. So why give up this asset? First of all, um, I resent the expression uh, dangerously progressive. I mean, you know, um, we look at uh, climate change as a global effort and many, many countries are there. And I think that Israel is unique uh, in, in a way that um, the climate issue is not politicized here. I mean, look at Prime Minister Bennett, who comes from the most extreme, maybe right-wing party in the government. And Cons- I come conservative from the left. And conservative. And conservative. And I come from the left. And as you said, progressive. And we agree on that. So I'm, I'm proud to say that the issue is not politicized in Israel. Um, having said that, you, you know, Israel did find uh, at least three working reservoirs of natural gas, two of which are already in action. 
and one is opening uh, these days, and this gas will, will be enough for the demand of Israel and for export to our neighboring countries like Egypt, like Jordan, for the next foreseeable future. And um, so we are not expected to run out of gas for our domestic use in the coming years. We are expected, if we wish to meet the global targets of uh, reduction and of renewable energies, we should uh, invest all our energy and resources into developing renewable energies, especially solar, that is a huge uh, um, that is a huge uh, uh, challenge uh, in the Middle East. Um, you have to remember that gas and oil that we use today and uh, stations that we open and explore explorations that we, uh, uh, that we search today will be here for the next decades. And uh, I remind you that, and I remind our listeners that the world is committed to net zero emissions by 2050. So these two vectors don't meet unless we stop at some point exploring new gas and oil and start uh, developing renewables heavily. And we have to do it very, very quickly we, because we are way, way behind. So actually what you're saying is that we have enough gas until 2050 and anything else that we will find will not be in use because we, we just uh, uh, declared that we, we will be in, in zero in emissions until 2050. But no, as I, you, um, what yes. I, I, I don't think we, we don't have enough to use as we use today until 2050. If we want to meet the 2050 goals, we have to start today reducing our uh, gas and oil dependency and developing renewables in a way that we will start you know, uh, the, the move, the transition toward renewables because the transition will not happen in one day. We'll wake up and the year will be 2050 and all of a sudden we'll have 100% uh, renewable and, and zero emissions. We have to start the, the walk there and uh, it's, go it's not going to be very, very easy, but we have to do it if we want to meet the climate goals. And by the way, this is becoming not just an environmental issue. This is becoming an economic issue. You know, the world... Uh, the, the International uh, Energy Agency is now, its recommendation is not to uh, rely and not to uh, develop new uh, uh, gas and oil uh, um, energy uh, uh, origins because it will, it's, a, it's, a, it's a too much of a risk economically because the demand will drop because of the commitments uh, to uh, renewables. And so this, this is a risky business to invest in gas today when you look at the global uh, uh, paradigm and the global uh, trend. But as a follow-up question, because you just mentioned it, you know, the gas discovered uh, off Israel's coast has also served the leverage uh, to leverage regional alliances. Israel has become a significant supplier of gas to Jordan and Egypt and may even be able to help Lebanon in a roundabout way resolve his, uh, its energy crisis. And you just mentioned it, but if you will find more gas, we'll be able to have more leverage in the Middle East, and you know how important is it as, as, a, as a former merits chair, you, you preach for peace, and gas is a tool for peace. This is what I'm trying to explain, but you, so, said, uh, but you said that the environment is, is, is more important right, right now. No, no, what I'm saying is that environment is a huge opportunity for peace and for regional stability. 
Look, for example, the deal that will be signed um, this week uh, in, uh, to, to stabilize and to develop the great relationship between Jordan and Israel um, in Emirati and American uh, uh, engagement um, to increase the amount of water that is being sold to Jordan um, that you know is a huge asset for, uh, for Jordan and it is a huge cause for uh, unrest and instability. And in return, an Emirati uh, a company will build a solar field in Jordan and sell the electricity directly to Israel. This is a huge opportunity, both environmentally, energetically, economically, and politically, that will uh, help directly stabilize uh, the region and uh, demonstrate uh, good, neighbor, good neighboring with uh, Jordan. And uh, as I said, Israel has enough gas by now to uh, supply the, um, the domestic demand and export to Egypt and Jordan. But the future should be put in renewables um, because this is a huge economic and business opportunity. And this is the right thing to do climate wise. So actually, I wanted to ask you in a, a later about this deal, but uh, you just spoke about it. You, you're mm -hmm. talking about a win-win-win situation. Exactly. Uh, actually, something like we the, the Jordanians will get uh, water, we will get electricity, and the Emiratis will make some money, like uh, like usual. So, so but, but but can you explain me why do we need the Jordanian desert? We have enough desert in Israel. We have the Negev. We have, we have a lot of sun. Uh, uh, most of the year is, is very sunny in Israel. Why do we need the Jordanians for? Okay, so we do have a lot of sun, but we don't have a lot of land, um, even though the Negev Desert is 60% of the, of the land of Israel. Um, still, the open spaces in Israel is in scarcity. In, 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 uh, we don't have enough of them, and they are very important to us. You know, we are a dense and, and a growing uh, country, and uh, Jordan has much bigger and much more empty um, spaces suitable for uh, developing uh, um, the solar uh, fields there. And uh, there, uh, therefore, you know, Jordan will turn their land into uh, energy and, and eventually, you know, money because they will sell the electricity to us. Israel will gain um, the green electricity and the opportunity to, to engage in a, in a very important regional uh, deal that will help uh, stabilize the region and uh, and and contribute to uh, to both the Abraham Accord and to the peace treaty with Jordan. And uh, Jordan will also gain water that it, that it, it, needs, it needs very, so very desperately. Yes, yes. So this is truly a win-win-win situation. Um, and um, that Israel has, uh, uh, I think, should take a lot of pride in, as we do. So a follow-up question about this, maybe two follow-up questions. Do you see a near future when we can 
truly count on solar energy 24-7 because you know that, that there is no sun at night. The, the technology yeah. is, is in its way or it's still a long way to go. And the, the, the second one is, can we count on electricity from Jordan? You know, it's not a very stable place. You cannot uh, plan the, few, the, the, the Israeli electricity uh, uh, demand on, on, uh, on use of uh, electricity, electricity from Jordan. No, first of all, we're not talking about uh, all and not most and not even a significant part of the electricity demand in Israel. We are talking about uh, something like two to three percent of the Israeli uh, uh, supply uh, today, which is a significant amount, but it's not like the Israeli uh, economy will be dependent on the supply from Jordan. Okay. And it will help stabilize Jordan. And you know, Israel has a lot of interest in the political stability in our neighbor. This is an act of, of good neighboring, which will, you know how they say in Hebrew, you're better off with a, with a friendly neighbor than with a, and that is close to you than with a distant brother that might be part of your family, but lives uh, far away from you. So um, I think that uh, developing good uh, relations with our neighbors is, is in Israel's interest. Um, and as for your question about storage, yes, um, there, is an there are existing technologies on storage of batteries, um, lithium batteries, but also other uh, technologies of storage that are developing very, very quickly. Some of them are already in use today and, you know, every week, every two weeks, I meet with an Israeli startup that has an amazing ideas and innovation for storage of solar uh, energy. Some of them, by the way, sell to the other countries around the world, but uh, have a hard time using their technologies here in Israel because of bureaucracy, because of many uh, obstacles that we work very, very hard to solve. Um, you are right that not all the, the technology is available right now, but this is a huge, huge market you know, around Glasgow, you could see, you know, investors and banks and uh, insurance companies and startups and innovators and entrepreneurs walking around searching for, uh, you know, to meet with each other, the entrepreneurs with the bankers and investors. And uh, right now in the world, there, there are $6.4 trillion available for climate technologies and this number is growing very, very quickly. So these are great times if you are in the, uh, in the business of uh, innovative uh, technology and storage and others. Um, this is a great time to be seeking for, in, uh, for investments uh, around the world. And the technology is, is already exists, but is expected to improve very quickly. So, uh... Before I'm running to to uh, to start a, a startup uh, on uh, on uh, <laughs> energy, yeah. do it. Do, do, do we do we do we have a chance in Israel to to lead like we are doing in cyber and high tech and biotech uh, to to be a leader, a global leader in uh, these innovations of uh, of renewable energy? Do you see Israel there already? Definitely. Um, Israel has a huge potential here. Israel is already known globally as the startup nation. 
and Israel is already a world leader in some technologies, like, for example, food tech and alternative protein. And you know that the meat industry is responsible for 20% of the global emissions globally. Um, and so it is, uh, um, it is expected that Israeli technology will be distributed around the world to replace those uh, uh, foods. And, and uh, you know, already today, out of the $1 billion um, dollars that are invested globally in food tech, a quarter, 25%, is invested in Israeli startups. So we are already in a leading position on that. And we have all the potential in the world to be leading in renewable energies, in storage, in many other climate technologies. This is a huge, huge, huge opportunity for Israel, not only environmental-wise, but also uh, um, but also economic, economic-wise. These numbers and figures you just mentioned are amazing. Yes, I want to ask are. you some general, a, a general question. Uh, to what extent? Is the new Israeli government truly committed to a green agenda and to combating climate change? Are you pleased with the budget allocation for these issues and with the related legislation, including the law that make a, makes a single-use plastics more expensive? And you mentioned before the Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, he headed the, 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 the very big Israeli delegation to Glasgow that you attended as well. And do, do you think the Prime Minister Bennett is uh, on your page, like, like yourself in, this, uh, in these issues, uh, although he's from the extreme right and conservative? Yes, like I said, in Israel, fortunately, the, the issue is not politicized. I think Prime Minister Bennett fully understands the extent and the, and the urgency of the crisis and is also very, very uh, enthusiastic about the uh, innovative technologies that Israel can lead on. You know, his background in, uh, in startup, uh, in, the, in, the, in this uh, economic uh, field of, of uh, startups and innovation. And uh, he's very, he feels very comfortable in that uh, climate. And he's, uh, he's very keen about um, um, giving a good signal for Israeli startups and innovation companies to, um, to be world leaders and to sell the Israeli technology globally. Um, and I think that uh, the Israeli government is much more committed, more than ever, um, to the climate change. Uh, in the last budget, we actually uh, we, we, uh, did a work to look to... Um, see where the money is in different uh, ministries and we found 15 billion dollar uh, 15 billion shekels sorry uh, allocated in you know from energy to transportation to agriculture uh, on issues that are climate related um, having said that i must say that we are in the beginning of our uh, journey um, we are uh, behind because for many years nothing was done here on, on climate and the other countries are ahead of us. But I think we have a very good opportunity in closing the gap and starting very, very quickly, you know, on innovation on the one hand, like we discussed, and on our programs, both to mitigate and to reduce our emissions, but also to adapt and to prepare ourselves to the climate disasters that will come. Because as I said in the beginning, we will suffer. We will suffer floods and fires and uh, heat waves 
and uh, actually while, while we are speaking we have a one one rainy day in Israel and uh, two towns exactly. uh, were flooded in uh, Batyam and Netanya exactly uh, I, I, and, the, I, and these these uh, events are expected to uh, to increase Okay, I have one, one uh, more specific point to talk to you about, and, and you've mm -hmm. been calling to scrap the deal between the Trans-Israel Pipeline Company mm -hmm. and the Emirates for the transport of uh, oil tankers to Eilat, and from there through a pipeline to the Mediterranean. This too is a very lucrative deal, both economically and in terms of our relations with the Gulf. Why throw away such a good deal? Okay, so first of all, I have to correct the fact that this is not a deal with the Emirates. This is a private commercial deal between an Israeli company and another company that is actually a partnership from several countries. It was made very, very clear, but by Emirati factors, including the ambassador himself, uh, that, that, that is speaking, of course, uh, under his authority and with, with permission of the Emirati government, that this uh, deal has nothing to do with the Abraham Accord, has nothing to do with the very good and warm relationship between the two countries. And even if this deal will be uh, uh, will be canceled, like I think we should do because of the great environmental risk that this deal poses to the Elat Gulf, to the coral reef that is the world unique uh, uh, reef that people come from all over the world to see it. Imagine the coral, the coral reef in Elat filled and covered with black oil that in a damage that will be irreversible for the benefit of a few millions of, of dollars every year that we can, we can spare, we can totally give up those millions. It's not uh, such a, uh, that much to put a price tag on this very, very unique uh, coral reef and, and uh, gulf of Elat that you know all Israelis and also tourists enjoy the, the sea and the beach there. Um, and uh, this is not something that we can put a, a price on. And uh, so I think that the environmental risk is too big and the benefit is not very, uh, um, is not equivalent to the risk. And that is why uh, we should apologize and cancel the deal. Uh, I, I have to say that I totally agree with you in this and the, the, the natural treasure of Eilat, the Red Sea and the Coral Reef. And uh, if you're a listener of this podcast and you have, haven't, uh, didn't uh, visit Eilat yet, this is the time. And my final question to you, Minister Zandberg, let's end with a broader question. Many people are saying the Glasgow summit was a flop and that world leaders failed to agree on significant measures that might stop global warming and its consequences. Uh, how do you see the summit, uh, which I believe you attended, and how, uh, how would you rate your conclusion? Hopeful, pessimistic, or somewhere in the middle? First of all, I'm always hopeful and I'm always optimistic. And I think this is a great working plan if you're in, in, in politics and in, in uh, policy making as a whole. Um, I do, uh, I am aware of that, that the summit was um, maybe not a flop or a failure, but maybe was described as disappointing, especially uh, in relations to the hopes, to the high expectations that uh, Glasgow uh, was, uh, that the people had before the summit started. I think the fact that there were such high expectations is 
also a good news because it means that the world fully understands and committed to the change that we have to make and to the severeness and the, and the uh, uh, urgency um, to reduce our emissions and stop the global warming. Um, so it is true that the uh, final paper is not as ambitious as the, as the former drafts, but it is uh, significantly more meaningful than before. For example, we are limited to, uh, and there is a global commitment to the 1.5 degree that was not achieved before. I mean, this is the first time that the world put the scientific uh, uh, a target of not crossing uh, the heat of 1.5 uh, uh, global warming uh, since the beginning of the industrial revolution. This is very, very significant. This is the first time, for example, that the world decided on phasing down coal and decided to uh, to move away from coal um, and gas in some countries, some of them are still gas uh, dependent, um, and to stop uh, subsidies for, uh, um, for all kinds of oil and gas uh, fossil fuels. So there are a, a series of very significant decisions, mm -hmm. even, though, even though they're not as ambitious as one might expect from the beginning. But another, another point is that uh, the next time that the world countries will have to uh, declare their targets will not be in five years, like the five years that passed since Paris to Glasgow, but it will be in one year. So next year, this time of the year in November 2022, uh, the world leaders will gather again in Sharm el-Sheikh in our region here in the Middle East in Egypt, and they will be asked to deepen the targets uh, to a more uh, ambitious uh, uh, goals. So we have one year to gather ourselves together, Israel with, of course, in the leadership of all the countries in the world and uh, know more and do more like the people expect. And you know, maybe last world, you know, the, the climate is the concern of many, many young people and even children and youth around the world that look at us, the leaders, and say, what do you do to protect our future and to make sure our future will not burn in fire, and that is literally, and uh, that we will still have the earth to enjoy and to uh, supply our uh, sustainability. And you know, when I go to sleep at night, I look at my 15-year-old and my almost two-year-old, and I ask myself, what have I done today to protect their future. And I think if all leaders of the world will go, will wake up and go to sleep with that question in mind, we will be able to succeed. Yes, you remind me of the founding fathers of Israel that we are also uh, always saying, uh, what country did you leave us and what country are we going to leave our children? And globally, it's even more important. What kind of, exactly. uh, of, of globe? of a universe we're going to leave our uh, children and grandchildren and I'm happy we did not touch Israeli politics because uh, global warming is even more important than Israeli politics. Minister Tamar Zandberg, it was very interesting. I thank you very much again for joining us here and now we'll go uh, take a, a short break, come back with some final thoughts after it. Thank you. Toda Rabba Tamar. Toda Rabba.
hello. I'm uh, Gilles Kepel, professor at uh, Sciences Po and the Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of uh, books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for staying with us. The bottom line of Minister Tamar Zandberg was very interesting. She's not pessimistic, maybe or vice versa. She's a natural, uh, optimistic uh, uh, politician. And she said that the summit in Glasgow is not such a flop as many uh, analysts say. Maybe uh, uh, something like disappointing, but her optimism comes from the, the fact that uh, Uh, the, the feeling of, 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 a, of a flop became, came from the very high expectations. And the high expectations are, are very, a very good sign because the world, as the Minister Zanderberg said, is committed to fighting, uh, to give a real fight to this global warming. And the fact that the next summit will not be five years from now, like the five years we waited from the Paris summit, but next year, shows that uh, all, the, all the states, all the nations in the world are committed. And as she said, uh, they will gather themselves and come back to Sharm el-Sheikh, which is in our area, to show uh, what everyone was doing in the last year in order to, to go on with this, uh, with this uh, so important historical fight against uh, the climate, uh, climate crisis. Minister Zandberg also gave us some very interesting figures, exactly like in the cyber industry, where Israel finds itself among uh, the three, maybe four nations that is leading the world in the, in the uh, energy industry or a renewable energy industry, and especially in the food tech. She said that uh, from one billion Uh, uh, dollars that are globally invested uh, this year in food tech, 25% goes to Israel. And she, she said that uh, this issue is becoming more economic than uh, environmental. $6.4 trillion dollars are available, available now for uh, climate techniques and uh, big time innovations And Israel, uh, like an innovation, a startup nation, is all there uh, going for this challenge to lead the world, to become a world power in, in this issue as well. Talking about uh, the, Israeli, the current Israeli government that uh, changes tune, uh, Mr. Zandberg said that in Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, although He's uh, totally different from her. He comes from the ultra-right and conservative uh, religious Jew. He's fully committed 
to to uh, to this issue exactly like herself that comes from the the far left and very liberal maybe it comes from the the, the fact that he is uh, himself uh, is a high tech uh, pro and he had at least one famous exit in the past and this uh, israeli government is a lot more committed uh, to the climate agenda than all the previous governments in the last decade i hope you found it uh, interesting i hope it was uh, a very very serious and uh, and uh, important and i want to find you here i hope to find you here next week the same place same time in on israel in al monitor i am ben kaspit from tel aviv take care bye bye